I'd like to kick off another Meet the Author, and we've got a few people with us today. Gary, why don't you kick it off and introduce everybody for us? Okay, thanks, Thoreau. Well, the title of the book that we're looking at today is called The Practice of Learning Teams, and there actually were three authors involved in this one. So welcome to the show. We have Brett Sutton, we have Glennis McCarthy, and we have Brent Robinson. Now, this is a very special shout out because they're from down under. We have Glynis and Brent in Auckland, where it's 3 a.m. in the morning. So as um, I think you had strong coffee and uh, keeping us going. And then we have um, Brent, um, he's a little better. He's at 1 a.m. in the morning coming from <laughs> Melbourne. So welcome all to that. Thank what you. we want to do is chat a bit about the book. And I'm going to start off by just asking this. Is, this, this, this has been a collaboration of three people to create one coherent book. Since this is a book about learning teams, what did you three people learn as an experience as a learning team? So who'd like to answer that one and kick it off? Well, I think from my perspective, um, the first thing that we learned is the downside to writing a book on learning teams using a learning team is that we kept wanting to go back and improve the book. And at some point we said, no, stop. Because we kept learning as we went along. And that's the downside. Books aren't based on continuous improvement. You can't keep going back and changing the pages. Yeah. What there were your thoughts, Ronis? Um, I think my thoughts, Brent, were that um, it, it was definitely a learning process. You know, that what you got to see was how learning teams is perceived through the lens um, of different people, but also different ideas. So um, the two Brents and I come from different backgrounds. So we bring different experiences. And really what it was about, um, like it is in a learning team, is that you use those different experiences to um, really navigate a space and try and get a much deeper understanding so that you can kind of share the, the power of, of those different experiences. Yeah, I think it was that exploration that we went through. You, you know, I come from that sort of continuous improvement side and um, really understanding the power of using a learning team and continuous improvement. And it was, it was really quite eye-opening going through the process. And, and we were doing it in different locations. So that took some getting used to as well because we'd have, we'd have uh, meetups and work out where we were and how we're doing it and Brent would crack the whip every so often and uh, keep us online and keep us on track particularly me give me a hard time but yeah it was it was it was an interesting process and I think we, you know I got a lot out of it when we were when we were doing it and just working our way through it and you know to Brent's point you know all the time we want to go I think I can do that better and you just had to draw a line in the sand and I think um, uh, one of the things that Todd said to us at the very beginning was that it's either going to be the best idea or the worst idea ever. <laughs> so how did you handle when you disagreed on a, a, a really, like you, uh, Brent, you had a really um, idea that you were uh, really fond of, and then other folks might have said, well, no, that's not such a good idea. Um, I think that, that oh well I was good that, that's exactly how we dealt with it really um, I think that what we did is we had a we had a chat and like in all learning teams um, you kind of talk it out don't you 
and and you go you go with the consensus or you go with the with really the the conversation or the the tenant that um, has probably got most merit. Um, so in, in our case, we would talk about things, um, we would we would discuss variations, and then we would decide as a group which of those merits had the strongest, um, you know, the strongest points. And I, and I think one of the core principles in the book that we wrote about was about this concept of diversity of thought, that we had to embrace diversity of thought, that it's okay to be different. Yes, but a really good point. Really good point there because if you find that all three of you are kind of like sing, singing on the same hymn book here, that's probably a caution warning that oh, we need to get a diverse voice in here because we may be going down the wrong path ourselves and not knowing that. That's a really strong point. Rosa, you had something to say? No, go ahead, please. <clears throat> and I, and I think the other thing was the writing style. We we wanted readers to. Um, see the different authentic element of each of us but but for it to flow naturally rather for it to be I think let us use a term for it to be jarring or for, for a person to feel disconnected yes I'm, I'm in a co-writing project myself right now and I've you you all sound very emotionally mature compared to me well we, we actually we actually created a framework for the book after the learning team, and we stuck to the framework. I think learners would disagree with the emotionally mature bit with Brent and I. <laughs> I think that that's quite true, actually, Brent. I was trying to be very good. I do think that there were times when some, one, of, one of us or all three of us um, might have liked to have thrown a, what I would call a little teddy, um, which is like a little disagreement. Um, but that is the nature of learning teams, isn't it? That you can come together, you can express your thoughts, your ideas, you can have that diversity of thought, but ultimately you've got a common goal and that's what you're trying to achieve. So I'd, I'd like to just chime in here um, a little bit and ask, um, you know, one of the things that we do talk about a lot here is creating um, safe spaces for people to have conversations and bring up um, their own ideas. And, and often I notice is that when disagreement or different views, I don't even want to use the word disagreement, but when different views start coming up, that's typically when people start being quiet and shutting down. So what recommendations do you have from your own group work that you could share with us in order to help lead others through that process of feeling comfortable to speak up? Sure, well, well in actual fact, um, we may touch on it later with Gary, but we've actually just recently uh, released the PDCA model for learning teams facilitation. And in there, we actually talk about the need to create that psychological safety for a learning team. And we captured that as about being able to be listened to, being respectful, being able to raise issue, give ideas, be acknowledged and encouraged, and being able to challenge as well. So, you know, we, we took all these fundamental tenets that how we would want to run a learning team, and we built that into our own framework on how to write the book. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm going to expose myself a little bit here um, to kind of push the envelope on this discussion a little bit more. So I just recently had an experience with my own team at Safepedia where we were in a meeting and I was just having a foggy day 
And so I, I had to take the leap with my team and say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry, but I have to stop the meeting because I'm just lost and I'm not getting it, which was really uncomfortable to say, really hard to say, but I had enough faith in my team that it would be okay. And it was wonderful how the team was like, oh yeah, of course, like, let's step this back. Like, where was it that you started getting lost and we'll take it from there and we'll walk you through. And so what, what I found was it was also the reactions of the team around. So what are your suggestions in order to help cultivate that? I think it's about um, providing very clear scope um, with the team when you're when you're doing a learning team that you know that we talk about that we are all different we've got different strengths um, we've got uh, different uh, we're going to be able to provide different perspectives on what it is that, that we're going to be exploring and I think that it is about um, having a common understanding uh, really about that scope and of having some ground rules so we are accepting that um, everybody has a, a slightly different position they're going to have slightly different skills and um, uh, things that they're going to be able to contribute. Um, and so I think that that's an, an implicit part um, of a learning team. I think one of the other things that we got to do is because, you know, there wasn't that tight time frame where you're in a meeting and you're having to do it. And for me, you know, we discussed some ideas and one of them might be going down a particular, a particular path. And we had the luxury or the opportunity of um, stopping and reflecting on it. And that for me was really, really powerful. You know, we could walk away, go back and Glynis and Brent would uh, say, well, you know, if we do this, what do you think of that? And we could go and, and I could think about it and come back. And that was really powerful. And it was that reflection that really helped me through that process. Because yeah, you know, you know when you're in the when you're in the you know the intensity of discussing it and um, moving forward, sometimes you just got to stop and and have that time for reflection. I, I wonder how much the competence and trust, uh, what their role is in your partnership, because it just struck me that you respect each other very highly. Would that be one of the drivers of your ability to collaborate and respect each other's ideas? I think that's a fundamental tenant of of um, of a learning team and a facilitator is to basically say that we, we want to embrace what we call functional diversity, just having those different perspectives, those different different views, and I think respect absolutely, Rosa, is, is a fundamental tenant. We, yeah. we we tend to focus on safety in this Meet the Author series, and I know that listening to one of your early podcasts with Todd Conklin you kind of talk humorously about how we came up with the, with the term learning team as a safety intervention, but it's coming quite clear to me so far that the concept of a learning team is very, very wide. It just doesn't have to be within safety. So I'm just curious from others that are on, on with us, are you, do you use the term learning team a lot or is this something kind of new to you? So anybody on here, uh, let, let us know. Raise your hand or write in the chat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, raise your hand, whatever, and we can uh, like to get your thoughts and ex experiences about learning teams. Yeah, so so I'm about uh, about halfway through the book, and uh, Brent and Brent and Brent and Glennis, um, just a great job on the way you uh, the way you put the 
content together, just the, the, the level of language, the flow of it. Um, I think this is gonna be a valuable tool for, for safety practitioners to be able to teach in-house people how to apply it. And, and that's, I, I think sometimes is rare when, when, we, when we get that in a book. So I, I, really, I really commend you for that, really good work. Um, the other thing on the learning teams, I, I did a uh, training for a company, a big utility company here in Canada a few, a few years back. And there was mostly management, quite senior level management, uh, supervisors. And we were asked to focus our attention to the responsibilities for occupational health and safety for supervisors and, and, uh, and managers. But what I didn't really, I didn't know anything about learning teams, didn't, didn't hear that term before, but I was actually doing it without, without understanding what I was doing, I guess. Um, what I did was I, I had broken people into groups during the course. I posed some, uh, a question to them to say, you know, for you as supervisors in your various areas, are there things that are at the front of your mind that you think can, can harm people that can cause a major shutdown outage or some other, is there something that, uh, you know, makes you lose sleep at night? And I want you to work together as a group and, uh, and pick one of your ideas and then bring it forward and defend it. But what you're not allowed to do is you're not allowed to be the vice president. You're not allowed to be um, the board of directors. You're not allowed to be a position you're not. And you're not allowed to consider dollars. Money is not even allowed to be considered. Just simply state the problem, talk about the problem, why it's a problem, and then how do you think it could be solved if it is even, even solvable? And the great part of it was that they brought this information forward. Then they had a discussion where we had 25 people in the room, but they were, it was all small groups that then brought it. And these topics that they thought were, were not a, a doable project, they, they literally had put it out of their mind because they thought it was inconceivable to put it forward. What, what ended up happening after seven sessions we had 15 actionable items that the vice president said, no, this is, this is very worthwhile going forward. And that's when I really seen the power of that collective, uh, uh, the collective brain power and, and people really working together to the same end. So I, I really like your book because it's really confirmed things that I know are effective. And you, you guys have really put it in an orderly fashion here that will help people uh, teach others about it. Thanks. Oh, look, thank, thank you, because, um, I mean, that, that's great feedback. And like everything else, um, from the very beginning, we, we decided that um, we, we were going to write, we wanted to write a book as a resource. And it's been very reflective, the fact that 90% uh, of what's sold on Amazon is a printed book. This is Kindle. And it's telling us that people want to keep it as a physical resource. Mm. They want to go back and refer to it and get into it. Mm -hmm. And that was the early chats we had with Todd was this whole concept of how do we bring it to life? How do we, um, how do we make those, um, those links? How do we take someone on a journey? And, and hopefully, and maybe what you, those who have read the book have experienced is that you've been reflecting as you've been going through the book and you've been able to see where you've come from. And you can see we're trying to head to. 
And that's a big thanks to Glynis because that was a very fundamental component of the whole adult education cool. component. All right. We're, we're about a third way through our episode today. So Tamara and I thought, let's do a draw. So Tamara, over to you. Let's kind of like do one. But the, um, we've got 20 folks on. Of course, um, I think there were a few like Rose and I, maybe, I know I'm exempt. I got a copy of the book anyway, so I'm exempt. So I'm yeah. right. Yeah, good. Uh, let the participants enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Here it is. So I'm hearing take your name off the wheel, Rosa? Yeah, you can take it off. Thank you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, oh. Ooh. Oh, Dave. Oh, it got there. Dave. All right. And so Gabe just came in and I don't think he knows what we're pulling for. <laughs> oh, this this reminds me of when we used to give incentives for not having accidents. Yeah. Let, let, let's tell him that he kind of hosts next week's show. How's that? Uh, no. Yeah, just, that's what I thought it was for. <laughs> All right, congratulations, Gabe. Congratulations. So Gabe, what you have one is a book. Um, that uh, our three authors have kindly donated. Uh, we'll contact you and get your particulars and um, they'll send you out the book. And that's the book there. Since he just came on, he doesn't know what the book is. Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't know anything. I like this. <laughs> this is really good. All right. One down, two more to go. All right. All right. So let, let's get back on to what we were. And um, I agreed with Gord. I've, I've gone through the book here and I do believe it is a great resource. Thank you for that, fellas and, and, and Glynis. One section I found quite fascinating was actually the section that Glynis authored and it's on competencies. And the reason why I found it interesting because Glynis, and correct me if I'm wrong, I said you were writing about developing skills, not as a consultant, but more as a facilitator. Can you kind of expand on the three competency levels that you wrote about and the challenges and outcomes of each? And I really like the idea of journaling to track one's progress as well. Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, when we think about competency, um, competency is made up of many different elements. It's knowledge and skill. Um, it's, it's behaviors and um, aptitudes and uh, a willingness. Um, and so when we were thinking about um, competencies, you're absolutely right. We were really trying to position it around what does a facilitator, so somebody who is going to really uh, walk alongside participants in a learning team, really to get the very most out of that learning team opportunity. So we really did think about the skill sets, the, the competencies that you need as a facilitator if you're emergent. So that one, that's, that's somebody that's relatively new to, new to the role, um, somebody that is um, competent in their own right, and then somebody who has um, mastery of skill. So somebody then who has the opportunity to take that skill level that they've got and, the, and those competencies um, and really impart those to others. Um, when we thought about uh, the, the various competencies, we really wanted to give people a roadmap. So we wanted to be able to give people an opportunity to really look at themselves in terms of where they are in their journey. And so really, when we think about how do we learn, one of the, the, one of the ways that we can really cement learning 
um, and really help people to take that learning and then apply learning into their own context is to get them to reflect. So if I think about how as adults do we learn, very much for us it's about learning something and integrating that learning into our into what we already know about the world and how we view the world, a schema of how we see things happening around us. And then when we, we ask people to, 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 to do something, to think about something, to learn something, to apply it, to do it, and then to come back to reflect. And by reflecting, we're able to see whether or not we are making some headway. Are we making progress? Are there things that we are doing that is different now than when we started our own journey? So not only do learning teams and learning team participants go on a journey of discovery, so does the facilitator. Beautifully said, Finnis. As, as I frequently facilitate and I, I, I found your section extremely helpful for that because one of the things that is, is the, well, one of the things that was the hardest for me to learn was that it was okay not to have all the answers and, and make myself vulnerable in that way. And that started to change my relationships. And that can be quite a tricky position to be in, isn't it? Particularly yes. if we come from the position where we are um, portrayed as an expert. So if we are a health and safety practitioner, um, if, we, if we do a lot of facilitation, often our starting point is that we come with a degree of expertise. And it can feel very vulnerable to say, no, 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 what we are doing is that we are trusting in the process here. So we're trusting in a framework where we say that the, the sum of all of the participants is greater than one individual participant. And so again, I think that when we do learning teams, what we have to be able to do is, is take that leap of faith for ourselves as a facilitator. And so therefore we need to really be able to critique where are we starting from and where do we need to go to? Yeah, I love that. Uh, Georges, uh, you have uh, your hand up. <clears throat> yes, thank you. Thank you. My, my question relates to the context in which the learning team is operating. What about a team that's operating in a physical context that's doing a physical task? Because I, when I close my mind and I envisage the models you're talking about, I see people sitting around in a conference room and talking or virtual conference rooms like today and talking. But I'm kind of wondering about the, the learning experience with physical tasks, the teaching and operating things safely like machinery and things like that. Um, how do these contexts transfer from, or these concepts transfer from the library boardroom to the dirty boot place? Um, we do quite a bit of work with what we'd call an everyday learning team out in construction sites and out in manufacturing facilities. Um, and in manufacturing, quite often we use a, 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 a lean tool like um, what we'd call a um, SQDC board, so a safety, quality, delivery and cost board. And that's sort of the, the framework that we might use, but we use a learning team out there that is, is quick and it's got the people doing the job um, at, the, at the start of the day and working through problems that they might have had yesterday or actually some stuff that happened yesterday that they found was um, a better way of doing something. And that particularly happens on the, the work we've done around con, uh, with construction people. And I, you know, you'll see Brent and I and Glynis talk about some of the construction projects that I've been involved with. 
And, you know, we started off with things like take fives and these pre-starts and we were getting nothing out of them. We were spending, you know, we had 65 people doing pre-starts in the morning and they were just not, we're not getting anything out of them. You know, people were, you know, daydreaming or thinking about what they're going to do. And so we really broke them down to quite small, uh, small chunks. And we found that we're getting so much better information with small groups of people, five to eight people on these sites and feeding that back to us um, and capturing in a really simple process, which, you know, started off just being paper and up against the site shed. You know, we've now moved on to magnetic boards that sit on the back of uh, the um, side of um, trucks and, um, Brent and I and Glenis can share some of that with you, but that's where I, I get really excited by this stuff because that's where I've seen the net change when we've been doing stuff on these sites. And, you know, we've been some of the podcasts we've talked about on one site, we spent between take fives and pre-starts $400,000 on a $16 million project was labor lost on those things. And really we spent a lot of time trying to make that significantly um, more appropriate and, and useful and valuable. And it's really about cutting that waste out and seeing how we can um, improve on a daily basis and learn something on a daily basis. So we found that we're actually, you know, um, we're actually uh, on, on Tuesday, Tuesday coming up, we're launching our first documentary on everyday learning teams. So um, uh, that'll be going live on Tuesday and you'll be able to see and follow through that whole component of um, what, what workers get from everyday learning teams how that was used to gain organizational learning, uh, how the organization and other contractors have now started to shift their behavior. So we're really excited about bringing a, a, our first, I suppose, movie. And of course, being in New Zealand, we're very famous for things like Lord of the Rings mm. and, and other things. So, um, you know, we're trying a little bit of a movie, see how that pans out for people. I don't think it's going to be quite at Lord of the Rings level though, right? That'd be fair. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Gl Glynis will be precious. And, um... <laughs> I might be precious for a completely different reason. Thank you very much, Brent. Um, and perhaps when you think of those things, you should look at yourself in the mirror. Remember, what? it is three o'clock in the morning here, down under. Um, so I can assure you, you look a bit precious this morning. Exactly. <laughs> That's how we built this book, you know, with a commentary like that. <laughs> You're going to have to do one of those kind of movies about, uh, you know, what they do in the big movies. They always have the little documentary about how we made the movie. You're going to have to do how we made the book and have all these little snippets in there. Um, Gary, we, we have a lot of outtakes, <laughs> which, which could not even appear on Jay Allen's R-rated safety show. Oh, so believe Just to bring it back to learning, um, I had a, interesting talk with Brett Sutton about the differences between how children learn and how adults learn. And in many cases, and I, and I have been guilty of it, where I've actually gone in and done a training session and I've treated the adults like children. Mm -hmm. Oops, big mistake. Mm -hmm. And I love the analogy which you had, Brett Sutton, about talking about the brain being a sponge versus a pumpkin. Can you kind of share that? Sure. Well, I was actually channeling my best Glynis, but um, and I'm sure Glynis will chime in if I get it wrong. But but I think my comparison was that as children, we we um, children have these lovely young nouveau brains, and we and we try to layer information. 
you know, we, we, we treat them and we layer up information over time. Whereas as adults, our brain resembles that sort of pumpkin that you wouldn't take to the country fair because it's full of bumps and crevices and mold and all sorts of things. And as adults, we really don't want to be learned by layering. We really want to know where do we need to get to, where am I currently at, and how I'm going to fill my gaps in. And it was those principles that we applied to the book around the practical learning teams as well. So, so that way people could understand where they're at, where they need to be, and they can start that sort of process, that journey and reflect on it. Any thoughts from you, Glynis? Did I try to channel you on that one? I think you've done a very, a very good job. I think the analogy of a pumpkin is not only fitting in terms of being an adult learner, um, but I suspect it might even be fitting of you as a person. Um, so I think, I think you've done a good job. I agree with you, Brent. I think that with children, what we do is we almost, uh, what we try and do is create almost like a, a, an onion with multiple layers. So we start up, you know, we start at the core and we can keep adding those layers, adding that finesse. But I think we always need to recognize with adults is that at, we're all, we all have what I would call a spiky profile. There are some things that we're inherently very good at. And then there's other areas where we're going to have gaps. And so from a learning perspective, when we're talking about adults, what we need to do is we need to, to train in a way that is expedient. We need to have a good understanding of where it is that we're going to go to that we actually want to get to as our end point and at the same time we need to know what is the starting point for those adults and wh what we need to do as, as educators is really be able to articulate that middle section what is the gap what does that look like and what are the skill sets that that we are trying to ensure that people are able to grab hold of I think often we have to take something that is sitting in an abstract or something that's ethereal to something that is tangible so that adults can actually grab hold of it and synthesize that information into existing schemas so that then they're able to critically reflect so that they could then integrate that into their own practice. Uh, Glennis, you, you triggered another um, experience that, I've, that I had repeatedly where you are in a room of people that are very competent at something that you're not competent at. I, I'm recalling specifically when I was um, facilitating a class of MBA executives and they were, we entered the financial spreadsheet section where I'm absolutely terrible. Uh, and, and, uh, and I felt it was excruciatingly painful to be in that position of being the only one who, and I'm the facilitator. So, um, I'm wondering if professionals ever find themselves in that position when they're in the uh, management meeting or uh, maybe you're in a board meeting and uh, you have to find uh, work from your um, platform of expertise and find your confidence there in order to speak up. Do you, does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Um, all of us at times feel that vulnerability where we feel that others may in fact have a deeper understanding or have a different skill set that perhaps we're striving for. So one of the things that we did in, in the book that we put together um, is really provide a roadmap for people, particularly around what does it mean to be a facilitator of learning teams? Because I think the most powerful learning teams are when we can take off the coat where we feel that we are the expert 
And now we're able to walk alongside um, the people of learning teams so that we can acknowledge different skills and strengths that those participants um, bring to the table. And I think that that really helps to accelerate learning, both for the individual, but also for the group. Wonderful. Joe raised his hand. And we also had um, somebody else in the chat who brought up a question. So um, go first. <clears throat> yeah, well, I asked um, if she wanted to to come on mic or not. So if if you want to come on, did you want to come on mic or do you want Joe to go first? Too much noise there. Okay, Joe, why don't you go first? And then uh, Gary, if you could um, also bring up the question in the chat, that would be great after. Great, great to be here. Um, my name is Joe Drago. I'm a semi-retired nuclear chemical engineer. <clears throat> I live outside of Chicago. And one of the things that I'm looking into is the learning teams and some of the struggles that people have in the healthcare center. Hospitals want to be high reliability organizations. However, they're struggling because they don't realize that they have to be also high performing. And one of the elements that we've discovered that there's a reluctance to report when there are near misses and only report when there's patient harm or something that's a regulatory requirement. So I guess I'd like to ask this group, how do you help learning teams in the healthcare sector? Because they are much more different than they are from the nuclear sector from which I come from. Thanks. Look, that's a really great question, Joe, and thank you. In actual fact, in the book, we actually devote a small part around um, running a learning team in the healthcare sector. And we actually show uh, what the workers learnt from that learning team. We expressed what the organisation learnt and what the facilitator learnt. And we also looked at some research around this concept of fix and forget. That what you have in the healthcare sector is we've got these people that are great problem solvers. They spend their entire life problem solving. And when we're asking them to report something, we're asking them to no longer be the problem solver. We're asking them to pass it over to someone else. And that's not going to happen if they're not part of the solution. And that's not going to happen if they're not part of the feedback loop. So many of what happens is that these people in the healthcare sector are having to live within the resource and the constraints and the capacity of the system and they problem solve and they adapt and they bring about change within their own, what we call expert domain knowledge. And they don't see anything reporting because they don't see it as a problem because they spend all their life problem solving. And learning teams makes all of that highly transparent. Okay. So one of the, so one of the questions that was posed and it was directed to Galinus, but I'll open it to anybody that wants to answer it was looking at how we actually are looking at our school system. And is it possible that our school system is part of the problem for adult learning? Maybe I will go first on this, if that's all right. Sure. Um, I, you know, I think that um, we all need to consider ourselves as lifelong learners. And so, so much of that learning will take place in our workplaces. 
And so there is an incredible opportunity to either be harnessed or an incredible opportunity that can be minimized if within our workplaces, there, aren't that, there isn't that opportunity for continual learning. You know, so much of learning is incidental. It happens as a result of. But what we really need to do is harness the power of deliberate learning. And learning teams is very much an opportunity to foster deliberate learning, both at an individual level, but also at an organizational level. And so I think that um, the, the idea that adults don't have opportunities for, for deliberate acts of learning in their workplace, I think it, it, the, that is a very limiting concept. And so for me, it is about providing opportunities where both individuals and the organization can gain some deliberate insight. Anybody else want to um, respond to that? Well, in, in the video coming out next week, we actually show uh, an approach we took where um, as, as the result of the learning team, we developed a system that the workers embraced because it was their own rather than the system being imposed. And that system was all about making learning deliberate yeah. and about capturing that operational learning and then allowing that learning to go back and inform the system. Because yeah, if it we was want a our system, change, wasn't it, Brent, that we came across? Absolutely. It was just staggering. And you know, if, if we want our systems to be robust or resilient, then people have to inform the system rather than the system trying to govern people. Mm. Sure. And we've seen that with COVID. Systems are brittle. People are adaptable. Yeah, right. right. It's, uh, so as a facilitator of a learning team, you may have to undo the learning habits of the past, right? Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Just to just to add on what Glynis and Brent were saying about adult learning, I've worked in this space for about coming up on eighteen years for for health and safety. And what's what's always been interesting to me, and I I am probably the most non-academic person working in adult education. That's, and I'm not saying that to be you know self-deprecating in any way. It's it's the truth. I, I'm a I'm a hands-on person. That's where I started and that's where most of my experience has been. Um, what I've always found interesting is that we've, we, we take the model that we're happy with as often as educators, as academic people, and then we turn that model inward for what we think is going to work for all adults. And, and the reality is most people that are going out there to do a task they want to know the, the, the simple uh, left to right, top to bottom, what do I need to do to, to do this particular task? And, and often we, we confuse it with too many, too many objectives. There's too many learning objectives. There's too much to remember. And, and sometimes we think we have a thin course or a short course that we say, oh, no, we need to lengthen that course. And what I really worked on for a series of years in, in, with the group I work for in the oil and gas training was to make the manuals smaller, to make your objectives more concise, uh, speak to the things that are important with detail. Uh, don't, don't disrespect people that they, they don't know how to walk up and down stairs, but focus on the things where there is real risk. 
And I, and I think Brent, what you just said there is don't let the system drive, um, but allow the people, what the people feel they need to know and what the people know to be true. That's what we need to focus on and, 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 to, and to get to the crux of that, to really speak to people that actually operate the equipment and say, well, what do you need to know to be a good operator? Not what we think you need to know or what we think you should know, but what do you really need to know? And then work backwards from there. And so I just, that, that's just from a, from a non-academic person saying, you know, you know, you got, we got to break this stuff down so people can, can understand it and utilize it. Yeah. Look, I think that's, that was a really great um, comment. And one of the things that we're seeing is that, you know, there are these training courses that are very long and very involved and expecting people to remember stuff. And I think there's a, a the system should be able to provide performance support on demand when it needs it, when people think they need it. And they should be able to get it really easily and quickly. And it, it's got to be, you know, ubiquitous in how, how we how we deliver that. And I think that's what we're trying to get to with some of these systems is just make them much simpler and easy to easy to interact with. And, and you know, typically we don't, I've been doing a lot of work in the construction space and we've had people doing three hour inductions and um, they do the same three hour induction on every single site they go to. and you know, it actually turns them off and defocuses them from what they're trying to do. And I think, you know, you're right. We don't need to tell people to have three points of contact going down the stairs. They, they get it. And, you know, that really comes down to that, you know, what type of organization are we? Are we about blaming when something goes wrong or learning when something goes wrong? And those, and that's fundamental to what we're trying to get to. And I couldn't concur more with um, Gordon. I absolutely agree that again, Adults don't need to be told how to do things that they're already competent in. What we need to do is be very clear about what it is that we're really trying to impart, particularly in a training point of view. And often what we do is we try and pad it out. Um, we often think that the training won't be as valuable or that if it's a written a document, uh, such as a safety operating procedure, that it's not as valuable if it doesn't cover off every nuance. I absolutely agree with what Gordon is saying. We need to be smarter. We need to be thinking about what it is that we are trying to drive in terms of practice. Um, so if we're talking about a safety operating procedure, what are the things that people need to know in order to do this job safely and proficiently and be able to repeat it many times over? We don't need to be putting in a whole lot of things that are actually very irrelevant and that just add to a greater cognitive load on behalf of the person who needs to engage with it. So whether that be face-to-face -face training, whether that be um, something that we are asking our, our workers to do um, every day to inform practice, um, whether we are asking what our, our, our workers are reading, actually who's ever creating that or providing that opportunity, we need to be smarter. We need to be thinking about what is the things that are essential to ensure safe, proficient practice on an, that is sustainable. Right. Joel, I see if you got your hand raised, would you like to open your mic and uh, share your comments? Uh, and Gary also had Suzanne who was in yeah, the queue, yeah. eh? I know that, yeah, you got that. Joel? Is on mute. Oh. <clears throat> I thought Suzanne was in, in, in the, before me in the queue, no? Nope. Suzanne, did you want to open your mic or did you? Sure. 
No, I, I was, I'm really enjoying the, the conversation and my introduction to learning teams uh, was a few years ago where I was fortunate to be taught directly by uh, 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 Bob Edwards and Todd Conklin. And um, I'm now with in, in an organization um, you know, where um, I'm trying to implement this concept uh, specifically through um, incidents. And, you know, we have the lean boards and, you know, the, 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 where I'm not yet is when you action every, every, every little incident, you get fatigued. And what I'm struggling with is, you know, a formal learning team is, is too much for people. So I, I transitioned to let's try an engagement board. We stand up, we don't even sit down. Um, but before that can even happen, I'm just finding these conversations are, are shortcutted to solution. The solution word comes out like it's a third word in the conversation. And, 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 and so, you know, we're not learning to learn. We're learning to let's just solution this so we can move on. So there's competing goals. Um, there's that time crunch. Um, there's, there's just all kinds of competing things. And, and so I, I'm just always looking for new and unique tips and ideas on, you know, how to get people to slow down a little bit and, uh, and actually learn. Sure. Look, I, I think that's really um, um, valid. And, and, and in the book, um, we actually have a section um, where we talk about everyday learning teams where we uh, provide an example of a, um, a framework that allows some critical thinking to occur. So it keeps people in the moment rather than moving into solution mode, but it's designed that we can basically understand a whole raft of key risk factors within 15 minutes, just by providing some structure and a good example could be, for instance, um, particularly around incidents, is around this notion of pressure to perform. So we have a little quadrant, and the pressure to perform, it's got four boxes. One is, um, uh, you know, pressure to perform from myself, pressure to perform from my fellow workers, pressure to perform from contractors, or pressure to perform from the organization. Now, it's not a question of which, of which box to tick. It's a question of where in that continuum does it sit? And that then stimulates the conversation. Um, because what we're wanting people to do is we're wanting them to critically reflect and critically think. And that's what then starts that learning journey. Otherwise, you're asking them to solve something. And, and, and that's all part of that sort of what we call that mastery of skill. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, even getting people just to acknowledge like I did a toolbox talk yesterday and I said let's talk about customer service pressure let's talk about goal trade-offs and they've never used those terms before they've never heard them before so I'm just trying to acknowledge it because we're so stuck on the physical you know mm -hmm. just linear hazard physical what went wrong and I'm introducing psychosocial issues um, and, but uh, I, I need to spin that wheel and get your book. Cause I, I like, I need a framework and I need some other, you, these ideas sound really good that I can maybe 
uh, implement and try. I do these little micro learning trials all the time to see what yeah. works. Yeah, and that's the thing, Le learning teams, and this is why we've tried to describe three types of learning teams. There's, you know, event-based learning teams. There are what we call periodic learning teams, where we're doing things like uh, risk reviews or doing things around um, efficacy of controls. And then there's everyday learning teams. And they're all quite different. And they're designed to, for instance, understand about the micro change that happens at an everyday element and what the organization can learn from those micro changes versus an event base where you're really looking at a macro change. What you're seeing is you're seeing work as imagined and work as done has degraded over a long period of time. So we've really described the types of learning teams as, as moving from a micro base or micro change up to a macro change. And of course, for you, Tamara, that's the whole concept of 1% safer, isn't it? It's about small steps of incremental change yeah. that can only happen on the everyday basis. And that's how I did my safety with my folks too, because that's bringing it right down to what they cared about. Yeah. So let's hope you win that spinning wheel. Well, we've got a bit of a flow going on here, so we can actually do two at the end. So Joel, why don't you open up here, Mike? You've had your hand up for some time. Yeah, I, I had a question some time ago, but surprise, surprise, the, the world is changing. The conversation has been going on and I don't know my question anymore. <laughs> I think that's how it is, reality. But, but I think it was something about, you know, this kind of learning is organic it's not mechanical and when we do learning teams there is always someone with very good intentions that want to um, categorize and systemize systematize and count things so so how do you deal with the fact that down the line someone will want to count the the, the learnings or uh, quantify them that's that's I think that's my I, I question. I would say embrace it. Because in actual fact, you you are able to um, you're able to do both qualitative and quantitative analysis of learnings. So what we can do is if we make if we make operational learning more transparent, more visible, then we can actually do those things. But at the moment, they they sort of they're not transparent, they're not visible, so they're really they're really hard to get to the crux of. So you can measure learning, you can see how things have progressed over a period of time. You can see where there are, are, are common patterns of occurrence, or where, as Glynis would use the language, where the rubs are, that the, the the things that that affect people on a daily basis, those things can be seen. And, and we can make that visible. So, so I think like everything else, there is a way of doing it. And um, once again, um, um, I would suggest have a look for the video on Tuesday. You'll be super excited about what you see. <laughs> Where we I show some other, visual dashboards. The other thing that we've used and we talk about in the book as well is um, depending on what organizations we've been in, we've used the learning team as a part of another tool. 
So in, uh, we've used a lean tool called a A3 um, eight-step problem solving, and we've used that to actually develop much deeper context when we're trying to understand the problem before we get to solution mode. And it's been really powerful at doing that. So, it, and it was a great way of communicating it because it's on an A3 piece of paper. They put it up in their work center and that, and, and there's also an outcome from it as well that these are the things we're working on. We, we give an example, which was a, um, around a incident that happened in one of the uh, manufacturing facilities that we're working in at the time. And, you know, the difference between the two different incident methods and, uh, and trying to understand what the problem was and then using a learning team to um, develop some uh, deeper context around the problem, and then putting that into a tool that the organization was incredibly familiar with, um, and the people on the shop floor were familiar with, and then using that as a tool of communication, but also a way of capturing that learning. And that was quite a powerful, um, it was a powerful outcome. And I, you know, coming from that lean quality side of, um, my, that's where my background is, I found that really interesting that, we can use these things and mix them together and, and, and get a better outcome. I'm just recognizing the time. It's getting near the top of our, I, I don't know where the time goes in these sessions here. I'd like to therefore end, because we got two more draws to do. Uh, what would be your three takeaways for, for the authors that you would like to leave with the viewers? Um, well, one of mine is, and we were talking about it before, is that vulnerability when you're a facilitator. Being a senior manager um, in a number of organizations, the hardest thing I had to do was let go and not be the expert in the room and and just find some, you know, some micro skills that I could use to stand back and, and be vulnerable. And the other thing that um, my takeaway is give it a go, right? And that you'll be, you can be really hard on yourself when you're in the room and it's really intense, but that uh, point of reflection and you look back at what you've, what you've come through with a particular uh, learning team that you've been running, you know, give yourself some credibility for giving it a go, but have a go. Uh, you know, uh, all of us have been on the same journey. Cool. Okay. Galenis, do you have any takeaways which you'd like to leave the audience with? Yes, absolutely. I think that, um, I think it's about acknowledging that people bring different skill sets to the table and that people um, bring divergent thoughts to the table and that's okay. And that as a facilitator, we need to come to this um, experience with honesty and openness. And I think if we do that in a genuine way, actually we can make learning much more overt, both for, for individuals and for the organization. And I think that that's a good place to be. Great. And Branson, anything, one more takeaway? Yeah, I mean, have a strategy for embedding learning teams. So giving go was fantastic and you're going to see some amazing results. And those things are really important from a personal level. But what we've seen is where organizations struggle is actually then how do we embed it into an everyday practice? So having that strategy becomes important. And with learning teams, it is a journey. It's not a destination. It is not a tool, it's not a fix. Right. It is a right. method and an approach and a philosophy. Right. And it's agnostic to your system. So you don't have to be hop, you don't have to be safety too. Okay, it's agnostic. 
and and the great thing is like you can implement learning teams anytime too and anywhere mm-hmm. and not and once again we, we we recently did a podcast series about learning teams down under um with our, with our australian colleagues and they use them more outside of safety now than within safety i know some people left so if their name comes up we'll just do it again okay <laughs> <laughs> That's a good spin. Mm-hmm. Travis is here. Yep. Okay. Congratulations. Congratulations, Woo-hoo. Travis. And I'm going to do a screen capture. There we go. And remove. We're doing one more, right? One more. All right. Here we go. You. Okay, all right, Gordon, are you still here? Gordon actually already has the book anyways, right? So I think you'll possibly right. say he doesn't need another book, so let's spin it again. Okay, but we're just finding any excuse to keep spinning, aren't we? <laughs> we just like to spin. <laughs> this is the way it goes. You should have entered the cat, Rosa. Yes, my cats could definitely learn something about collaboration. <laughs> Maria is there. Yes, Maria is still online. Okay. Maria, where are you? Yes, I'm still online. Fabulous. You just Yay, won. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Oh, it's kind of fun. <laughs> so. Okay, well, thanks everybody for attending the session here. And um, again, um, big shout out to our three authors who are not, I don't know why you want to go to bed or start your day earlier now. So. Uh, I'm so wired now, I'm going to start my day <laughs> Okay, well, appreciate you being on. And um, thank you everybody else for joining us for this session. And we'll see you next month. Yes, thank you. I, I learned a lot. Great team. Love your work, Riza. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye, all. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thanks, Tamara.